Welcome to Lead Today with me, Kalina. Let's talk leadership. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Today, we're exploring the Enneagram Type 1, often referred to as a perfectionist, but I like to call it the reformer. There are two different ways. Neither one is wrong, although that'll bother you if you're an Enneagram Type 1. So call it what you will. I call it the reformer. Really, the the Type 1 has a strong inner critic and a desire for perfection. And so they set high standards for themselves and others. We're going to today dive into the key traits, motivations, fears, unique ways that the Type 1 navigates the world, growth areas, integration and disintegration, and then we'll talk a little bit about um, the type that a Type 1 is for Hornadian Triad, which I'll explain a little bit later, centers of intelligence, and then just a story or two about a Type 1. If you're wanting more than this episode, it will be short because we're going through nine different types in this series. I just want to encourage you to take the free assessment, first of all, so that you know your type. That'll be in the show notes. And two, purchase a report. Purchase a report, either a personalized one that'll really get into the nitty gritty of your answers and what they mean. This is important because I just actually had a client who came in the scores were so close between two different types. And it was like, why is that? I, you know, I got one answer on one test, another answer on another test. Is, am I changing? Is my type changing? The reality is we're nuanced and there are different reasons why you might present as a different type. And so if you get a personalized report, I can go into the specifics of what it is that your subtype might be, how different wings are interacting. We can really go into the nitty gritty. The three or the type one or the type eight, that is really just the surface, right? It's kind of like a big bucket, but within those buckets, there's so much nuance. So anyhow, without further ado, let's go down the road of the type one. But if this is of interest and you want personalized information, I highly recommend you go and purchase a report and First of all, get your Enneagram type at the link below. So, okay, we've got this perfectionist on our hands, right? Well, (laughs) because of that perfectionistic type of mode of behavior, we see really principled individuals. And that's why I like the reformer, because really this is someone with a cause. It's a judge, somebody that sees right and wrong and who lives according to this set of values and ethics. There's somebody that really likes rules and enforcing rules really for for rules sake because they see them as enforcing a set of values and ethics. So type ones are generally organized and very methodical in their approach to tasks and life because of course if you're going to be perfectionistic you have to have your ducks in a row and they certainly do. The motivation for the type one really is this reforming. That's why I like to call it the reformer because they want to make things better. They want perfection, right? But they really want to make things better both for themselves and the world. And they have this sense of responsibility to uphold moral standards and do what is right. So really (laughs) my training on the Enneagram, actually we had a, a lady who was a judge an actual judge and she was a type one and it just 
couldn't have been more fitting, right? Because, well, if you, if you want to uphold a sense of right and wrong, how else, where else could you better do it than, than being a judge, right? Um, a core emotion of the type one is anger because of that perfectionism. So um, Claudio Naranjo, a Chilean-born psychiatrist, he really did a lot of work on the Enneagram. Um, and there are these subtypes. And so with the subtype, very important to sort of understand that the perfectionism, the, the anger can be quite linked to that. Again, if you want more on the subtype, you've got to purchase a report. It's just too nuanced and individualized to, <laughs> to share here. But type one, ethical, objective, perfectionist, and picky and at their worst, intolerant and obstinate. So the basic desire we get from the type one is to be honest. And the basic fear is to be corrupt or immoral and evil, which makes sense, right? I mean, if you're this type one, and you really want to be seen as perfect, and upholding what's right and wrong, then it really makes sense that your fear would be to be corrupt, right? Or immoral or evil, like you want to be the opposite of that. And it makes sense that to be honest would be your basic desire. So with that, of course, fears that show up are fear of chaos and mistakes. Type one is often very rigid. So they really don't like when things don't reach their standards or are chaotic, disordered, right? I mean, they want order structure, right and wrong. They love to live life in the box. So they really don't want chaos or mistakes. So they're very self-critical, which this is where I think sometimes for me, if I heard this in an episode, I would say like, okay, isn't everybody self-critical? And yes, everybody is self-critical. But I think fearing making mistakes or falling short, having these high standards and being self-critical, feeling that they're not doing enough, I think it's a certain type of person. So what I would say is if you're not a type one and you're just listening or if you are, it's like, what is the dialogue of your critic? This is something I speak with oh, at length with clients is really examining your inner critic because your inner critic has a dialogue. Yes, everybody is self-critical. But how, right? What are the criticisms that you're getting? Is it telling you you're lazy? Is it telling you that you're not good enough? Is it telling you that you're not doing enough? Is it telling, what? what is it telling you? For the type one, it's generally this feeling that you're not doing enough. That's what the critic is often showing up with and saying that you're falling short of these high standards because of that perfectionism. So keep in mind, right? It's It's, again, I think... For many years, I ruled out personality assessments because it felt generic. And yet, no, at least not the Enneagram, not to me, because you can take every single answer the person gives in the assessment and deduce something from even how it is they answer the assessment. I just had a client talking about, did they, did they answer the questions correctly? That's not something that, you know, a type seven would be worried about you know? So just an interesting thing. Pay attention, right, to the details. The unique ways that this type navigates the world, well, attention to detail. Absolutely meticulous personality type. They are striving for precision and correctness. 
they're an advocate for change. So even if they're not a lawyer or a judge, they might be working in some kind of like NGO. They want to really make positive change in the world. So they're working toward making improvements in very a- various aspects of their lives and the lives of others. So they're often advocates, even if they're not a lawyer. They advocate for causes that they believe strongly in. And they have this sense of duty, right? So we talked about that responsibility. They have this strong sense of duty and responsibility to do what is right. And so while in a good way, that can be them being a pillar of integrity, right? There's somebody that you look to and you say, wow, they really, you know, they do what's right. Even when no one's looking, they're very principled and they have strong morals. You'll, they could be even in service professions like first responder type professions, police officer, firefighter, right? Like they really, it's like honor and duty is totally the type one. Where the type one needs to learn and grow is to really manage their inner critic and accept imperfections. So, I mean, again, isn't this for us all? Yes, of course it is. But the type one is particularly nitpicky. nitpicky about their diff- their issues or challenges in performing in reaching that high bar so that perfectionist and picky it's it's different from the critic of others and so we really want to get that in check for the type one and to allow for more flexibility and spontaneity rather than the rigidity that comes with the adherence to a strict set of rules there's a time and place for rules but for the one that time and place is all the time so Really, the, I would encourage the type one to see where they can open up, see where there can be flexibility and spontaneity in their lives, see where openness might be possible. If you're interested, after you've got your type one, you could always take um, the big five personality assessment and see where you land. I would imagine that the type one is highly conscientious, but not as open. Just my bet on on those on that spectrum. Um, So if we talk about integration and disintegration, now, this is nuanced as well, because depending on who you talk to, I mean, it's the arrows that we're talking about in the Enneagram right now. Type 1s integrate to a type 7, so they experience growth by embracing spontaneity, joy, and a more optimistic look. That's what we just talked about. Disintegration, generally speaking, is said to move toward type four for the type one, and this means that in stress. So, like when they grow, they move toward type seven. When they contract or become stressed, they move toward type four. The challenge with this is while you might see similarities in yourself, it's a little bit it's a little bit cut and dry. Whereas my understanding of the Enneagram is it's sort of this it's a give and take. So the Type one, yes, under stress might move to the qualities of a type four, like becoming more focused on individuality or experiencing melancholy and sadness. Um, They absolutely might move toward that type four dramatic individualist, nobody understands me kind of place. Um, But there's also room to grow for the type one to move toward a type four, which is to embrace emotions and to be authentic. a bit more feeling type, you know, the type four is a bit of like a tortured artist in my mind. And so we want the type one to also understand, hey, it's not just disintegration or that doesn't just mean under stress and bad. To me, you can also pick up some good qualities from the four to become focused on there as well and and learn from. So 
Because, right, if you're type one and you're focused on the rules, you're not really like an individualist that's kind of this rebel, I do what I want, nobody gets me sort of thing. They're kind of opposing, right? And so if you can integrate those opposing forces, like if you see them as kind of like a magnet or something, like you have these opposing forces, it's not just bad. You want to integrate toward both. So as a one, integrate the seven and the four. The four is artistic, it's authentic, it's individualistic. It is a feeling type for sure, heart-centered, very, very emotional, right? So as the one, if you're rigid, integrate your emotions, right? Integrate that sense of artist and creative. And then the seven is about that spontaneity, joy, pleasure. So to me, I think there's, there's room for both. Actually, it's not just, okay, integrate toward type seven, disintegrate type four. I think you can find positives and negatives to either one, like a type seven and the negative would be um, just being totally ple pleasure driven and hedonistic and not caring at all about responsibilities, procrastinating. And so the type one that maybe has gone haywire could become like that seven and just totally go against the grain of what their true nature is. And that's where sometimes people get mistyped, right? Because I have people come in and it's like, oh, I'm not like that at all, but I got the one, let's just say, right? Like, I'm not like that at all. I don't care about rules. I don't, but then after we do some work, after we talk and talk and talk, it does come out that deep down they have these tendencies, but they, it's, they've sort of been covered up or layered with all the experiences of their lives. And I've also had people say, wait, but aren't, you know, can't I learn and like, I'm not this fixed. I can learn and grow. I can change. Yeah, of course. The idea of the Enneagram is not to have you stuck in some type in a box. The idea of the Enneagram is to say, here are your core tendencies. Are they from nature? Are they from nurtured? Were you, you know, like born with them? Or did you evolve through your life experiences to become this way? Maybe a little bit of both, right? Um, but it's to say, here's what you do. Here's how you behave in your natural habitat when you're not thinking about it. Here's how you normally would respond. Does that mean you can't go up the levels of development and evolve? Absolutely not. So see this as like your kind of instinctual or habitual knee-jerk reactions, the, the thinking patterns you have sort of either subconsciously or just repetitively when you're sort of in this automatic thinking loop. That's what this is. You know, it's kind of who you are on autopilot when you're not being on your best behavior, when you're not trying to be this awakened wonder, you know? So just just think about it. And the type one, the wings are two and nine. So the nine is the peacemaker. Type two is the helper. So the one can really learn to be the helper and get a bit more of a collaborative feel as well. They might be a one wing two or a one wing nine. Um, and so if you see more peacemaking tendencies, then there'll be less of that strict judge and maybe be on that not-for-profit trying to kind of help in a more harmonious way. The type 9 is, is harmonious. And the type 2, again, is the, the helper. So hand-in-hand hand with that sense of duty and responsibility, but maybe doing a bit more hands-on help or being more part of the group rather than the type 1 typical being the rule enforcer you know like the type one can benefit from being a part of the group not just being the hall monitor and handing out the <laughs> handing out the tickets 
you know, there's a bit of utility in, in being with the group as well, not just enforcing from above. So that's a little bit there. And then in terms of the work of psychologist Karen Horney, there are the Hornean triads, as I mentioned, and they describe the three coping strategies that individuals adopt in response to anxiety and interpersonal challenges. So there are three types in the Enneagram, compliant, aggressive, and withdrawing. And um, the type one, it falls into the compliant type. So what that means is that they seek acceptance and approval. So right, if you're compliant, you really just want to meet expectations and standards to cope with anxiety, whether the standards are set by themselves or others, right? It's just to meet expectations and just comply, comply, comply to get by. <laughs> so the key characteristics of that compliant type one is an adherence to rules, right? Which we already understood, rule-oriented, adhere strictly to their own moral code and societal norms. So they are not out there with the purple mohawk, right? They're, they're looking really kind of put together and, and clean. Desire for approval, as we said, and then fear of criticism. So we know the critic is loud, but this is so it's not just highly self-critical, but we've also got that fear of criticism and failure, which might stop them from taking risks, right? Being risk averse. And they really may struggle with feelings of inadequacy because of course, if you have this pristine images in your mind about who you're supposed to be, you'll never reach it. And so you can try and there's nothing wrong with striving to to be better but uh you'll never be the perfect picture on the wall because you're a living breathing human and so that's a big piece of work for that compliant type and um in terms of center of intelligence so i like this in the enneagram because center of intelligence you can be um heart body earth or mind you know thinking center um and so heart is feeling body is like a gut feel and the mind is like that thinking right thinking type and the enneagram belongs to the body center of intelligence so they really experience the world through gut instincts or sensations and a sense of gut feel so um this strong internal sense of what is right or wrong because they're the judge so they're not necessarily thinking through it they're like oh i have a bad feeling about this and it's like in the gut it's not like a heart wrenching sadness it's like an anxiety fear based oh my god I'm scared of what could happen. This is wrong sort of feeling, although we know that anger, anger is how it shows up mostly. Um, my individual theory would be that fear, anger stems from fear, but with the Enneagram, um, you've got kind of sadness as a core emotion, fear as a core emotion, or anger as a core emotion. So the type one is with, uh, with anger. Um, again, I would say debatable for me just... It makes sense because the type eight, nine, and one have the core um, feeling as anger. And the type eight for sure, because they're all about power. Type nine, they're very harmonious, but they're hiding that anger. And then the type one, it is with the rigidity, there is sort of this anger to it. You know, it's a bit different. They don't present as fear, but the, again, they have this anxious undertone, which is where the gut, you know, the stomach ache kind of have to make a big decision and I'm nervous and your stomach goes they have these instincts and so I I would definitely say there's a there's a link in my opinion this is now off the beaten path of of Enneagram but just my my two cents so 
um, in terms of that body center. So again, strong gut instinct. They rely on that sense of inner knowing about what's morally right. So they'll read the rules, right? That judge that I spoke about knows the rules on paper, but it's kind of like all throughout the day, even if she's doing work or with friends, like she's always kind of judging, does this feel right or wrong? Does this feel right or wrong? And there's this moral compass feeling internal knowing that is just always kind of calibrating you know um and so there's also a heightened somatic awareness which means that the physical tension or discomfort will show up when they perceive this moral or ethical breach so maybe it's a lump in the throat or stomach ache shoulders are tense and up you know it's like it'll really show up in the body which i mean Again, this is somewhere where if I was listening to this, I would say, yeah, okay, but doesn't everything show up in the body? Yes, probably it does. But for the type one, we're specifically talking about physical sensation and discomfort or tension showing up when there's a moral or ethical breach. So they could be tuning into better or more consciously. Okay, when are these breaches showing up? And if they struggle with that, pointing them toward somatic awareness would be useful. Okay, so you got a little bit about the type one, the reformer or the perfectionist, compliant. Moving toward type seven, moving to type four for the integration. We got some growth areas, we have some motivations and fears. I really hope you enjoyed getting to know the type one a little bit better. And if you think this is you, take the free Enneagram assessment, see if it's your type and follow up with me. Let me know what result you get. I always love to, to hear from you. I mean, it's the reason I do this show. So take the assessment, let me know your type and I'll see you in the next episode on type two.